space is for everybody. It's not just a few people in science or maths or for a selected group of astronauts. That's our new frontier out there and it's everybody's business to know about space. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh, Matt, that's really lovely. It is beautiful, particularly if, when you consider who the person was that, that said it. Tell me. So that was Krista McAuliffe. Oh. It's a brilliant quote. And it, it is. It's, it, it encompasses everything. But of course, and for those who don't know who Krista McAuliffe is, she was on the Space Shuttle Challenger. She unfortunately. was. Yeah, she was uh, a mission specialist, the first civilian mission specialist, a teacher. Uh, and she sat next to our space legend of the week. Here we go. It's only GBJ. The GBJster, Gregory Bruce Jarvis, who was born on this very day in 1944, August the 24th. So, Matt, he was serving as a payload specialist? He was a payload specialist from Hughes Aircraft. Hmm. Um, yeah, so he, he, he was a brilliant engineer. He got an electrical engineering degree and master's, worked at Hughes, had designed the F1, F2, F3 spacecraft and, and was part of the engineering team, and a manager. Everyone loved him at work as well. Apparently he's one of those managers that had his arm around engineers, encouraging them all the time, worked 16 hours a day. Blimey. Everyone got fed up with his sweaty clothes all lying around the office because he was a very, very keen cyclist. Him and his wife used to cycle um, 80, 90 uh, kilometers a day through the rocky mountains and things a like day. that so yeah so Jeez. they were pretty so they were uh very very keen uh sports people which is one of the reasons when it came to people being picked for uh mission specialists for this uh shuttle flights mm. um that um he was the one that got chosen he's very 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 hard working um, according to his friends, he wasn't a genius, but he was someone who worked so hard that he became a genius, that kind of thing. Well, that's even uh, better. Yeah. So he wasn't even scheduled for the Challenger space shuttle flight. He was uh, bumped off by Senator Jake Garn on a previous flight and then bumped off again by Florida Congressman Bill Nelson before taking his place on uh, the space shuttle Challenger that ended in... Oh. God. Of course, I mean, one of the worst disasters. Awful. Imagine being one of those politicians. That's going to sit heavy with you. Yeah, I mean, or people that were yeah on that flight before, or the people on the next flight. It, mm. It's it really is. It's super tragic. Um, but you know, he was someone that was very very aware of the risks. He was an engineer, and and mm. uh, uh, apparently the, the one of the reasons why I chose the Krista quote is because he was really really kind to her and really nice to her uh through throughout the entire process and uh one of the, one of the things that almost made me cry when i was reading this story was uh uh that his friends said he was almost certainly holding her hand uh during the uh shuttle disaster sat next to her and it's like yeah so happy birthday, Greg, wherever you are in the universe. Happy birthday. And well, it's, Matt, it's people like that that 
mean that, you know, rocketry and space exploration can go further. So it's all because of them. Yeah, it's it's such a pity, isn't it? They all thought that the shuttle had become a kind of routine thing. Mm. On to onto one of our favourite... I mean, people, Matt. Yeah. If, if, if I can tell by the literally tens of tweets that we've had about Space Word of the Week. Space it's Word. It's the favourite feature. Yeah. I'm, we're going to do an easy one this week. We kind of tried... We got bogged down in, like, words with long definitions for the yeah. last couple. But this one's easy. And do you know who uh, told me about this one? I was walking through the street and I said, George, George, I haven't had time to write the podcast notes. Um, have you got a space word that I don't know? And you know what? He told me a space word I didn't know. That doesn't surprise me. What did he give you? He gave me litho-breaking. Come on. Come on. No, I think the reason why he knew, knew litho-breaking is because I think the Kerbal Space peeps out there, they love a bit of litho-breaking. Good work, G. So, yes. Matt, break it down for us. Uh, what do you think the word lithos or lithos in Greek means? Uh, it's, uh, I, I, I'll guess some kind of material. I don't know. Yeah, like rock or stone. Oh, so. yes. I'll take that. Uh, so it's a rock or stone in Greek, lithos. So it's a kind of play on words. So aero-breaking is obviously... Uh, what ExoMars has been doing in the Martian atmosphere to mm-hmm. sort of circularise its orbit. So it's a way of slowing down. Litho-breaking is obviously slowing down using rock. <laughs> so, now, how do you but, do that, may I ask? So, so you basically just crash into the planet and use the planet, the crust of the planet, or the lithosphere of the planet, to slow yourself down. Sounds painful. <laughs> well... Uh, it's kind of it, it's kind of sometimes used as a joke. So when the, a, a, a rocket has crashed into the surface, like Scapularelli, for example, um, it did a, it did spectacular uh, litho breaking. Well, there you go. <laughs> but uh, that has been done successfully. So the Soviets had their Luna Nine probe land on the moon using litho breaking. So uh, you kind of you've just put loads and loads of padding around what you're landing mm. and of course the, the most famously is the litho breaking technique used by mars mars pathfinder and mars exploration rovers mm. uh, that were in those massive inflatable balls that sort of hit the planet and bounce around and slow down that way so that is litho breaking wouldn't it be frustrating if you just couldn't get the rover out of the inflatable ball Ah, uh, that would be annoying, no. Wouldn't it? I, I tell you what's even more frustrating than that is if you had a awesome English dude who looked like a farmer and he'd he'd made an amazing spacecraft that did a bit of litho breaking on the Martian uh, lithosphere, and yeah. uh, everyone just assumed it had blown up and crashed. And then years later, they were to discover no, no, the litho breaking had worked fine. But the only thing that hadn't worked fine was the unfurling of one solar panel oh. that covered the radio transmitter. Oh, God. Ah, and Beagle 2. Oh, oh, God, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> you know, that that is the most heartbreaking uh, well, Matt, version of Litho. You, why couldn't Curiosity go and find it and uncover it? Yeah, that's true, actually. I always thought that. <laughs> why can't it just Although, wheel over and just... And it's just, probably and just, yeah. not that easy. No, no. Ah, oh, it's gutting though, isn't it? I think. Um, Can we ask David Baker about that, please, or or yeah. Zoobs, <laughs> or, or Papa Zoobs? Ah, oh, Beagle too. 
Poor old Beagle 2. So, Matt, what have we got going on? Well, Jamie, you know that I've just come back from Germany. I do. You couldn't join me, could you? Because you're too too busy busy. with your boss. Too busy. Too busy with the boss, man. So, yeah, I, I just got back from Germany, Jamie, and it was very, very exciting. Of course, the launch didn't happen when I was over there because no. it was delayed a delayed a day, and I, and I had to come back. Um, but it was still fun. And, and like a lot of these things, when you visit a facility like that, it was ESOC in uh, Darmstadt, uh-huh. um, uh, which is the European Centre of Operations. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, it was. It's not as busy as it would be if there was a launch. So actually, we were able to go into the mission control part, which we wouldn't have been able to do if we hadn't. If it, there had been a launch, nice. And of course, we were there to um, be groupies or Earth groupies. Hashtag Earth groupies. Yeah, yeah. Shout out. Shout out to me, main men and women in the Earth groupies that were where we were, and uh, <laughs> they they got quite a cool bunch actually. They were from yeah. absolutely everywhere. Hmm. You know, people from Germany, obviously, people from the Netherlands, people from Venezuela, people Whoa. from India, uh, people from London. Oh, there you go, Matt. You're repping big time. Englishman on the Earth groupies. Matt, uh, I hope you didn't section. let us down. You didn't get. I don't th- you didn't get drunk and start singing football songs, did you? I didn't. I kept myself to one beer. Oh, okay, very, but then I, I was having a brilliant. Good. I had a brilliant. I had a brilliant dinner. I'll tell you about that in a second. But oh, we okay. were there to see uh, Eolus. Eolus. Yes. E- Eolus that I was really tr- struggling with the pronunciation of last week. Um, yes. Do you want to hear a little bit about Eolus? Give me some it's, facts. Very exciting. So. It's a satellite. It's uh, it's kind of main part of the satellite was built. The satellite bit, the bit that flies around, was built in England in Stevenage um, by Airbus, uh-huh. and uh, and the this other part, the really exciting part, the lidar, uh, was built in France, and that's the exciting bit. That's the bit that does the work. So uh, yeah, so this satellite it flies up in sun synchronous dusk dawn orbit. Oh, I like no, that. Dust, yeah, the dust dawn orbit means that it kind of rides the a terminator between day and night and crosses the crosses the uh, equator round about dawn and dusk. Rides and the reason why the terminator rides the terminator. I, I'm going to start a band called that. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but it's really the thing about that is that the solar panels can be in direct sunlight, so it's getting power, but it can also see the dark side of the Earth at that point, and and it can use this brilliant piece of kit, this lidar that it's got on board, hmm. which is basically an ultraviolet laser, a laser that blasts laser light into the atmosphere. And then that laser light is reflected back and is measured by several instruments, the Aladdin instruments. And uh, using the Doppler shift of the reflected light, it can work out how fast the, the wind speeds are. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So has, has this been done ra- before? No, this is the very first time that this has happened, and this is one of the this is one of the really interesting parts of this mission is that this this atmospheric laser Doppler instrument, the Aladdin, um, is is extremely hard to make, and the Europe this this has launched fifteen years 
later than it should have done, mainly because of the technological difficulties of actually trying to build something like this. And they, they went to NASA. NASA couldn't help because they didn't have any experience in something like this. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the main problem is this laser is so powerful that if there's any kind of contaminant anywhere near it, mm. um, the, the laser itself starts to darken uh, oh. because it burns this contaminant onto itself and it loses its, its efficiency. So when they first started testing this thing in a vacuum, because it's when it's in a vacuum, that's when it becomes a problem. Mm. Um, uh, and when they first started testing it, after sort of seven minutes, it had lost 40% of its efficiency or something daft like that. So clearly that's not going to work. So they've been spending ages trying to sort it out. And the analogy that I came up with is, uh, remember the overhead projectors you used to get at school? Yeah. Yeah, you know when if With the someone tu- yeah, you know if someone touched the bulb, mm. the bulb would get dark and the bulb would then crack because mm. the dark fingerprint would darken off and ruin the whole thing. Mm. It's it's pretty much like that essentially. You you basically ruined the telescope with these kind of smudges and darkness that gets onto the onto the thing. So how they've got round that is really interesting. So they flood the they flood the the area with oxygen, so they're continually sort of cleaning it out and purging the area with oxygen. And therefore, if any contaminants are in there, because you've got this extra oxygen in there, they will burn off rather than sort of becoming this dark, horrible mess on the uh, on the instrument. I love that. Well, I can't wait to see what what it can do. Yeah, so it's it, it goes round. Doctor Evil it, Power. Yeah, so it, it does 100 wind me- measurements every hour. So it can go in and just start measuring the wind all around the world. And, of course, this is the first time this has ever been done. This could be a very, very That's exciting... That's going to be really helpful. Yeah, it's going to be a very exciting development. And the irony was it launched a day late because of wind conditions down in French Guiana. So it, if if another Aeolus <laughs> had been flying, they wouldn't have attempted a launch on that day because it possibly could have measured have the, the winds info. to more accurate yeah. yeah they would have had the info so yeah it's 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 pretty it's a pretty exciting spacecraft all in all I love and that. Uh, the the my favorite part of the whole day uh on on tuesday was i had a really good opportunity to speak to the mission scientist a lady from norway called Anne gret straum uh-huh and she was a just fantastic and she told me all about the instrument and how they use the oxygen etc etc we had a we, we had our meal together and we were chatting about playing bark on the piano which is really good she's she's a, a classical pianist as well as being a fantastic uh weather scientist and uh, it was really it good to talk to her yeah and did she you, did you she, both um tickle the ivories or no, there wasn't a piano there. Us, we would have could have done a little duet, couldn't uh, we? You could have, yeah. you could have played her some Queen. <laughs> yeah, I could have played her or played her that Chris Squire track really badly, and uh, you put, post it on Instagram just to make me feel bad. Still one of my bad. finest, still one of my finest moments. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but check it out. Even when you're the mission scientist, you're not allowed in mission control on the uh, on the on the on the day of launch because it's what? so busy in there. Oh, but fascists. I've got a pretty, I've got a pretty good picture of uh, of that in the in the show notes for this week. Nice. So yeah, when I when I was uh, when I was at uh, ESOC, 
we had a look at the Earth Observatory Control. So that's where all the scientists sit around flying all the satellites like Sentinel, Swarm, Gotchi and SMOS that are out there measuring all these different things and building these enormous data sets that help everyone look. I mean, Europe's become the leader in, in looking at the Earth and how it's changing, and so therefore it's vitally important when it comes to, um, you know, global warming and things like yes. that. We have managed Beautiful. to look at the Astronomy Control Centre where they look after XMM Newton oh, and Gaia, Gaia. Yeah. and in Integral. And there was a brilliant little story there. There was one thing where, you know, we, we reported on this quite recently when uh, there was a ground detection of neutrinos and then uh, satellites were sort of told to go and have a quick look to see if they could find where it was from. An integral, Yeah, an integral was sort of turned around and, and was able to find the gamma X-ray source of all this kind of thing. So um, I asked about that and they said, how how on earth they coordinate it and there's and he did tell me the story and it's roughly there's a there's a kind of wire that goes out to everyone that sort of says this is an interesting event and then the uh mission uh controllers sort of decide whether it's interesting enough and 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 then code down to these people sitting in the room and going right this is what we're doing today we're we're doing these maneuvers to turn around integral to have a look at this um this this source this x-ray source if we can do it and uh, and I said, well, how long does that process take? And he said, oh, it's about, it took that time, it took about eight hours. And I said, that's amazingly quick. And he goes, wow. well, no, he goes, not really, because um, five hours of it was wasted because it, uh, they were not in communication with the satellites, as in, as in it's going around a dark part of the Earth where none of their base stations are actually pointing at it. So it took them five hours before they were able to send the commands to it. So you could you could actually do it quicker than that and i just thought that's incredible isn't it that yeah that's that that how quickly the that the scientific community can sort of a realize something interesting's going on get the message out and control it all i just thought that was uh fascinating yeah that's banging good and work then we team went to, yeah and then we went to the flight dynamics room and the flight dynamics room was uh really interesting that's where they work out the uh maneuvers that these satellites have to do and tell the control rooms uh the commands that they have to send to the satellite so they do things like work out uh there's another room that we visited called the debris facility and they tell um flight dynamics if there's a bit of uh you know space debris that they've got to avoid and so right. they can raise the orbits of of satellites to avoid those uh, bits of space debris, uh, and uh, apparently they they do that sort of once or twice a year for each satellite. But they've got twenty satellites, so it's actually quite a common manoeuvre to have to um, avoid space junk. Oh, I loved the show we did on space junk. Yeah, do you know? Actually, I'll tell you something that was interesting. Um, I believe on that show I said that if the Kessler Kessler syndrome got so bad. Uh, we wouldn't be able to launch. So I asked that question to the guy in the debris facility, and he said, no, that's not true. He said, yeah, you need to think of space debris as like radiation. It's your kind of exposure over a long time that puts you at risk. But when you're launching, they don't even look at space debris. All they're looking for is maybe like that you're not launching straight up into the International Space Station or something like that. Got it. But they don't look – because of the launch sort of cone of of, – 
where it's going to go isn't yeah. particularly well defined. They couldn't look at whether you're going to hit any space debris, so they don't uh-huh. bother. He said it's you know just be so unlikely, even if there was a Kessler event. He was also laughing about the film Gravity. He says, you know, even though it was a really good film to sort of raise awareness, the whole idea of a, a Kessler syndrome getting out of control in you know, a matter of hours is ridiculous. He said it would, you know, it takes centuries for it to really kind of <laughs> happen oh, that's, and unfold. I've got a brilliant interview. We've got a brilliant interview with Lauren Grush. Oh, this is going to be good because I've heard a little bit of it unedited. Matt, let's roll the tape. Let's roll the tape. Ecoute! So I'm joined uh, by Lauren Grush, who a lot of you uh, won't need introducing to. Uh, I'm sure you're very aware of what Lauren does, but I'll allow Lauren to tell us exactly what she does do for those of our listeners who aren't aware. Uh, Hello, Lauren. Hi, so nice to be here today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, our pleasure. Great. So uh, a little bit about myself. I am the senior science reporter for The Verge, which is a tech and culture site, and I focus on space for them specifically. So um, I guess you could say I'm the senior space reporter. Just some background on how I got here. Um, I grew up in Houston, Texas with two parents who worked for NASA Johnson Space Center. And uh, so I was kind of surrounded by space growing up. As I grew older, you know, I really did enjoy math and science, but I loved storytelling more than that. So I went into journalism and I realized that the only stories that I really wanted to report on were the science and space ones. Yeah. And, and as I was moving forward in my career, I was like, you know, I wonder if anybody will actually pay me just to write about space full time. And I've managed to find that. So I feel pretty special. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that, that sounds absolutely ideal. Did you, did you study science at school or, did you, or, or were you really that kind of creative journalistic type? Yeah, no, I really focused more on, um, I did you know, packages. So I would film and edit and report all of my own stories. Um, and I took a few, you know, like science classes here and there, but really wasn't a main focus of college. It wasn't until I started working on science stories full time that I kind of invested myself in learning more about science and astronomy and and space science do your parents help out with all that do they uh, <laughs> no do they approve i try I, I don't really communicate with them i mean they definitely love that i do what i do um and i love, love to send them my stories once they're up but yeah the i i don't i try i don't really communicate them with them when i'm working on a story what's the big thing that you're on at the moment Actually, I feel like I've things are kind of slowing down. Um, I think I might look more into Space Force since that's a big topic of conversation right now. And I think there's some more analysis that can be done there. Um, but yeah, it's been a bit of a crazy week because we just launched the Parker Solar Probe. And then I quickly ran to Los Angeles to go check out SpaceX for a tour. And so now things have kind of subsided. It was it was a crazy couple of weeks there for a little while. It has been a crazy week. I mean, I absolutely love the Parker Solar Probe mission, and I and I've just looking at your story about going over to SpaceX. I have to say, your picture with uh, Gwyn Shotwell in the background, uh, I think that's an absolutely fantastic picture. She looks absolute. She looks like the, the cat that got the cream. It's a brilliant picture. I was like. When I was when we were editing the photos, I was like, "Wow, this is this is better than I thought I could ever get." But 
Yeah, it was an amazing photo. And, and you know, it's, they make it easy. There's stuff, you know, SpaceX is all about aesthetics, taking pictures of their hardware. It's, it makes the job easier for me because it's, it's really pretty to look at. So, But I'm glad I did get some good photos of the astronauts and Gwen as well. Yeah, so what, what was the best uh, part of that trip? It must have been a pretty exciting one. So I was really taken with the test capsule. They have a, basically an entire mock-up of the Dragon capsule that they'll be using to send passengers to space. It, it basically recreates the entire interior, and they'll run simulations inside this capsule to you know, go through normal scenarios, to dire emergencies, to see if the astronauts can handle it, if they can communicate well with ground control. Um, and that runs everything from, you know, like fire to depressurization events. So I thought that was really cool. There was a little tidbit how they, they even simulate the sun rising with a lamp, you know, so they really think of all the different ways, um, that they can recreate the launch experience, uh, with this capsule. They don't shake it. It doesn't have like the vibrational simulation. But they did say that they will shake the astronauts on their on a on a vibrational plate, like the way that they shake um, spacecraft to make sure that they can handle the the intense you know forces of going. <laughs> how how long have the uh, four astronauts been actually training in that particular environment, or is or have they only just started training? How long has this been going on for? Yeah. Started training a couple months ago, and it sounds like now that the crews have been chosen, they're going to ramp up those efforts as they get closer. But it seems to me that for so there there are two big flights coming up, right? It's the first crew test flight, which is only going to be a couple weeks, and then the second one will be the the operational flight, which will be a full mission to the International Space Station for months. You know where they stay at month for months at a time, and so those are very different types of missions. So they'll be training in different ways. So the first crew uh, pilot or the crew test flight pilots, they'll really only be um, training at SpaceX with those their, their simulation hardware there. Whereas the operational crew members, they're going to have to train at both NASA for their time spending on the International Space Station. And then they'll also train at SpaceX to get a feel for what it's going to be like to launch on the capsule. Did you get to meet the astronauts? What were they like? I mean, astronauts are always very charming. I love meeting. I didn't really get to spend too much time one-on-one with them. I haven't met Victor Glover before, who will be on the first operational flight. And he's just really cool. And they all just are so easygoing. They have such great quotes, (laughs) you know. So astronauts just are the coolest people and they're just so fun to talk to and they're they're just very charming and and i'll i'll always jump in a chance to meet an astronaut agreed i have to say victor glover seems like he's possibly the coolest astronaut ever and he get and he gets to wear the spacex spacesuit as well they're all gonna look very good and very cool so their coolness they're already really suave right now but they're gonna you know ratchet it up to 11 <laughs> <laughs> it's really exciting isn't it um talking of exciting what is what's the in terms of because it has been an absolutely epic year hasn't it 2018 and 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 of course you you got to i, I saw your interview with elon musk at the falcon heavy launch what was that like oh man that, that was amazing um that also that whole oh, was it a weekend i can't quite remember when, but it was it was a 
yeah, it was over the weekend and the first part of the week. That was just a whirlwind adventure because there was so much going on. So we would go, you know, go see the rocket up close. And then, you know, then we had a whole day of waiting for the launch to happen because it kept getting pushed back and back and back. And then, of course, getting to interview Elon in front of the Falcon Heavy was just really great and amazing. And he was in such a good mood because, you know, it, I think he knew things were going to go well, but, you know, can't say that, but he was definitely very jubilant and happy. So it, it really just put everybody in a good mood while we were out there. You know, even I, I don't think anyone really expected it to blow up, but even if it did, we were all kind of having a really good time. It was, it was a really great launch experience. Yeah, I'm I'm extreme I'm extremely jealous about that one. I, we were going we when you're when you're in London it's like it's a bit of a gamble to to have transatlantic flights for something that may or may not happen. So you know, yeah. we 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 gambled the wrong way unfortunately. <laughs> um, you know, I know so many people who did just did make long trips for that and I remember there was one of these one of uh, one of the sources that I'd been talking to, I told him I couldn't do an interview because I was going to do this Falcon Heavy launch. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm going to that. And then he messaged me. He's like, anytime that I travel for a launch, it always happens on time. So it should work. And I was like, oh my gosh, I hope that actually happens because I don't want to keep delaying my flight. So what what other things have really excited you this year? Um, Oh, well, I got to to go see Insight launch, which was hilarious. Well, the best part about Insight was that I got to ride with the spacecraft um, with the Air Force when they transported it from Colorado to California. So that was a really cool experience. And um, I've never gotten to do anything like that before. So then it was really special when I got to go out to California again to watch it launch. But the funny thing was, I've been to a number of launches and they're all amazing. But this one was in California at night. So the cloud layer or the marine layer from the ocean had come through. Couldn't see it at all. (laughs) It was like four in the morning too. So we were all a bit cranky and then you didn't see the launch at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite funny. I spoke to Jake who does the We Martians podcast and he was there as well and had exactly the same experience so i'm very yeah. glad i didn't travel to that launch <laughs> oh, yeah. you should watch the video we did from that because i'm just i'm just standing there in the dark laughing hysterically because it's just too funny how little we saw <laughs> <laughs> once the pictures that i saw that from people in aircraft above that were absolutely stunning though did you see oh, those oh yeah no, we flown. that was that would have been a great shot i know i that that's something that i do really want to do is do the uh, flying over a, a launch that that really does look spectacular i know how you can do that and tell me because i want to do that as well <laughs> <laughs> what's coming up do you think in in space flight this year or maybe in the next couple of years that you're really stoked about i think, I think a lot of it is being loaded up towards the end of the year so we've got the new target dates for commercial crew um those are always tentative because they keep moving but the latest ones are you know, uncrewed test flight, uncrewed test flights later this year or early next of um, SpaceX and Boeing, followed by crewed tests next year, mid mid year. Um, I'm hoping that I mean that would be really great if those flights could get off the ground. I believe the next Falcon Heavy launch is currently no earlier than November as well. So if that gets off the ground, that'd be great to go. 
I think for that one, though, we'll see if work lets me, but I'd love to just go and not cover it because it's always so stressful to cover these launches. And I just want to go and kind of experience it, maybe bring some loved ones with me who've never seen a launch before, because that is just a cool experience. Um, So that I'm looking forward to. And then uh, at the end of the year, we have the new Horizons flyby of uh, the Kuiper Belt object that it's heading towards. Yeah. That'll be a great way to to round out the year and, and ring in the new year because it's happening on New Year's Day. Oh, that's definitely one that I'm really looking forward to, uh, particularly now it's that a binary that they think. So, yeah, that's going to be really cool. Yeah, as soon as they saw it was weirdly shaped or maybe it's even two, you know, in one like that, that's going to be really neat to see what it looks like. <laughs> has, there, has, there any, has there been any kind of real big disappointments for, for this year? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've, I think that because one of the things I am really excited, and I, I think for if you're an American, it must be really exciting that uh, that those crewed announce the crew announcements that you had at NASA a few weeks ago, and obviously your trip to SpaceX, and it all seems to be happening again. Was there is there any any side to space in 2018 that's been a little bit of a downer? Yeah, you? I think definitely all the news surrounding the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, and- and and also, you know, it's exciting to to uh, go and talk about commercial crew, but we've also been waiting for a commercial crew for a while, so that getting delayed was also a downer as well. So anytime there are big delays, those are those are a bummer for me. It's just it's not what I like to report on. I know it's the nature of this business. Building spacecraft takes a lot of time and money, and especially with James Webb, when it's something that we've just never done before. I get that these things, you know, human errors make longer and longer and more expensive delays. So that's that's been a, a tough thing to, to, to cover, especially with James Webb, because we thought it was going to launch next year. And then it was like a gut punch. It's, oh, no, actually three years away. So that one was tough to cover. Yeah, it's well. Same with SLS, and there's a few other things, isn't there? Just always, right. Just a little bit over the horizon for everyone. I guess I always assume that SLS is going to keep getting delayed. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should have assumed that with James Webb as well. But yeah, I, delays are just a big part of the game, and I get it. But it'll, they'll never stop bumming me out. Yeah, well, the, the the one thing that I think is one of these stories that I think's been creeping up is this proliferation of small launches what what how do you see the small launch market all these the electrons and all these other companies that are entering that market uh it's clearly it's not happened yet but everyone seems to be piling in how, how do you see that going yeah i think we're we're right before the flood gates open on that you know it's it's about i mean once once things get into full swing i really could see a very vibrant small satellite market, because we've got three major U.S. players coming online soon. You've got Rocket Lab, you've got um, Virgin Orbit, and you've got Vector. And, you know, they are all set on not on doing nothing but launch small satellites. So, I mean, they're all very new. You know, Rocket Lab is still trying to get its first commercial launch off the ground. But I think once they get really get into a rhythm we could we're going to see these small satellites launching all the time because it's such a big industry right now and there's so there's such a high demand for it and especially i think there's a lot of advantages to having a dedicated small launcher versus doing like a rideshare which is pretty much 
is their only other option. So, um, or they also can deploy from the International Space Station as well. But when you have a dedicated small launch vehicle, you know, you can pick and choose where you want to go. You don't have to, you know, tag along for the ride. You're, you're the reason for the ride. And so I think that's a very big benefit for a lot of these small satellite manufacturers. Having a, a bespoke ride somewhere is, is great, but it, it does seem to be a lot more expensive when SpaceX charging $7.2,000 per kilogram. And the mm-hmm. cheapest of all these small launches is 20000 So it, there's, a, there's a big price jump, isn't there, to, to have your dedicated launch? And, and, and I know, yeah. obviously, there's... I think that's what you're paying for, right? And I think companies will pay a little extra to have that extra service. You know what I mean? It, I think if somebody made a good comparison. It's like, it's do you do an Uber pool or, you know, do you have an Uber X? You know, you pay a little more for the the extra service because it's all about you and you don't have to worry about other people that are also going to space. So I understand there is a bit of a price jump, but I think it's just, it's like, you know, paying for premium service. And I, I think a lot of satellite manufacturers will be interested in that. Yeah. Do, do you think that, do you think that's that small satellite market's going to be big enough? As in, it, it seems that if there's all these different companies, there's going to be a bit of carnage at the end when it all, when the dust starts settling down as far as I can see, or do you think these mega constellations are going to be the, the sticky, sticky plaster that stops that from happening? I don't have a crystal ball, but I do know that I've talked with a few of these companies and they seem very eager to have small launchers like this. Also remember that, you know, small satellites don't have as long of a lifetime in space as larger satellites do. So they're, they need to be replenished much more frequently than these bigger satellites. So I think, you know, just, I don't, I don't think we'll ever really run out of small satellites to launch. Um, but I mean, we'll see. It's possible we get to a, a place where, you know, no one really needs a ride anymore. But I think that's, quite a ways away yeah 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 i mean have you been following because obviously we're very excited in the uk at the moment because it looks like space well it almost certainly space flight is going to return to the uk for the first time since 1971 uh we're the only we're the only people to abandon a space program um uh and uh, have you been following the small launch uh in the uk at all yeah definitely and that's great. I think that's that's awesome. And I, you know, a lot of there's always a lot of focus on the U.S., but it's really great when you know we expand and work with international partners. Um, and I think you know this is going to be. I think that would be a great opportunity for people in the U.K. to actually see a rocket launch and not have to travel. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's quite because it will if the Virgin Galactic flies out of uh, yeah Britain in 2020 is when they're saying it will be the first launch mm-hmm. from Europe full stop. So it's quite phenomenal, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Is it Virgin Galactic or Virgin Orbit? Sorry, Virgin Orbit. Yeah, sorry, uh, Virgin Orbit. Yeah, sorry, Virgin Orbit. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's going to be really cool, and that's the, that's the great thing about. Um, the Virgin architecture is that they really can launch from anywhere with ease. You know, what Will Pomerantz was telling me that one of the VPs over there is that all they need are like a couple of trucks and that's their launch pad, right? Like they just need to fuel up and, and go. Whereas with a lot of, you know, um, vertical launch 
vehicles, they have to have an entire infrastructure built. You can't just change launch pads willy nilly, you know? So that's what's really exciting about these air launch endeavors is that it's, it seems a bit more mobile than, than other launchers. A couple of quick questions. Have you got any kind of recommendations for great films or great books or great uh, programs that you've seen that that really you go, oh, that's that's one of the best things? I've, and it doesn't even have to be about space, but what's your kind of favorite? Uh, I was say, well, I've, I've really been getting into The Expanse lately. So that, that was kind of my obsession for a while. And that's a good sci-fi show I think everyone should check out. Yeah, I... I, I I got into the expanse, but the, in in Britain you can't get season three. It's the most frustrating oh, thing. Oh, that's a, that's terrible. Yeah, so I'm stuck. I've so I've got to the end of season two, and <laughs> so annoying. And you know when it's going to come? No, there's. I, I keep going on the internet, and there's absolutely no words. It's like, yeah, you just have to sit and wait. It's 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 pretty frustrating. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. The expanse the expanse was good fun. It was good fun. Yeah. And then I also recently started The Americans, which was a mistake because it's so long and I'm so hooked. <laughs> so it's a lot of content to get through. Uh, do you know what? That That's brilliant because uh, Jake and, and Anthony had me on Off Nominal and uh, my recommendation was The Americans. How about that? It's good, right? It's really brilliant. It it gets a bit weird. In, it gets a little bit lost in the middle, a bit like a lot of these ones that run for a long time. But the last the last season's great. It's really good. So hang, hang on in. So we've got a ways to go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it in the end. So before, be, before I let you go, we've, we, we have a, a space playlist uh, where we've got lots and lots of different songs. Is there a space song or, or anything, in fact, that uh, what's it, in terms of music that you listen to that you really associate with space? Oh, um, Twilight by the Electric Light Orchestra. Do you know that song? I, I must do. I'm, I must do. I've, I've even I've, I've even worked at the alone. Right here, hold on. Can we play a song? Will we get in trouble? <laughs> no, no. Play, play me a little bit. That'd be okay. quite fun. It's very fun. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That, yeah. Do you know what? That's not in the playlist, so it's going in. It's okay. going in. Oh, I feel- yes, get in. We got <laughs> fantastic to, to add own contribution. You really are are one of our go to space journalists. Wow, when I so when, when we're compiling the show, it's uh, it's uh, what I really like is that it's it's what you do is very different to what pretty much everyone else does because it has a kind of certain fun vibe to it. Yeah, it's easy to get very technical about this stuff, so. I try to think not like not a space journalist <laughs> when I'm writing. <laughs> yeah. it, and it's hard because as I've been covering it, you know, it's easy to fall into those jargony phrases. Um, but I, I try to kind of steer toward away from that. Did we? I don't think we talked about your rocket craft show, did we? Uh, spacecraft. No, we didn't. Spacecraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. So we are in the midst of season two right now. We're going to be um, publishing more episodes throughout the next month and September. So, and it's all about living off planet. Uh, so I think that, um, yeah, I'm really excited to, to show. I think the first one we've already put up is about high seas, the Mars analogs habitat in Hawaii, where people do simulated Mars missions. 
Um, and so we've got some good content coming up soon. I really think everyone will enjoy it. Well, I, I certainly should be watching it. I watched the last season. It was uh, great fun and really informative. Yeah. Uh, like like everything you do. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Flattery will get you everything. Thank you so much for uh, being a guest on the thank podcast. So well, thanks for having enjoy me. Enjoy the rest of your Friday right. night. So how ace was that? She's just incredible i i do really really like lauren grush's um journalism it's much more personal than most of the others totally nothing nothing is boring and she's a great interviewee loved it yeah i really loved it do you, do you like the fact that she chose the same the same choice as me the americans as i chose on off nominal and i check you out peas in a pod and, <laughs> i know and she chose a birmingham lookalike as her space song of the Space song that that entered straight into our into our space song list. I think she must a good, be a distant relative, Matt. Yeah, huge call, huge call. Word up, Lauren Grush. Word up. Um, well, let's finish on our on our space fact, which is another one that George told me about. Hit um, me. It's not really a space fact. It's about rockets, kind of. <laughs> so okay this so we is, started on a downer we're going to end on one aren't we <laughs> yeah this is slightly more peculiar as a downer the chinese apparently f- fire rockets into clouds to to stop hailstorms and stuff like that that's what this uh-huh. was all about so there was a chinese man who'd been uh at a wake at someone's house when that roof of the house was blown off and he was killed and right. every, everyone just assumed, oh, there was a thunderstorm around at the time. So um, it was obviously just lightning. Uh, so they sent him to the crematorium. And when they were burning his body, uh, it blew the crematorium up. And the reason being was these rockets that they fly, fly into the clouds... Um, one of them had come down, hadn't exploded, had gone through the roof like a bullet and lodged inside this poor man, killing him. Oh, my God. And then blew up when, obviously, he was being cremated. Wait, <laughs> hang on a minute. When you say it blew up the crematorium, I assume you don't mean anyone else was injured. Do you know, well, weirdly... I assume it just kind of blew up and they went, what was that? The story that George told me was it blew the doors off the crematorium and killed the man in charge, the the person who right. was cremating him. Uh, I can't find that. I can't verify that in the sto- in in the stories I've read online. I haven't tried particularly hard. Well, if anyone knows any more info, can we can we please get some more? Because this is fascinating. I mean, very yeah, morbid and very sorry for the <laughs> for the man and the and the man who was at the crematorium. Um, but blimey. That's a pretty yeah, I mean, rare death. It's a, it's unbelievably rare death, and but what was weird? George also said that the the man at the crematorium should have found this um, rocket in buried inside this man, but was too busy stealing the man's teeth. What? So I again, I can't verify that. So uh, I'm going to go with that bit too of an urban myth. So anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Please. Uh, just want to say head over to itunes if you want to leave us a nice review then go ahead who am i to stop you but matt (laughs) i just want more more importantly than that i want everyone to have a great weekend stay safe eat some chips spod cats have a beer 
and chill out because <laughs> we're just made of stardust, aren't we, Matt? So just chill out. Don't we, worry about anything. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about you it. You might get hit by a weather satellite. So just, oh my just have God. fun. I've never even heard of weather rockets, let alone ones that come down and blow you up. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, Spodcats. Been a pleasure. Bye. See you. Bye.